Welcome to the Cloister Bell podcast. I'm Liam. I'm joined by Rob. Hi, Rob. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Yeah, all good. Um, So uh, in today's podcast, we will be continuing with the 60th anniversary specials. Uh, But before then, obviously, just the the usual preamble chat, you know, checking in with each other. Uh, I hope you're all well, listeners, and you're comfortable and, you know, I don't know, you've got a cup of tea going or beverage of choice and able to relax. Cocoa. To, yeah, nice, by the fire. Nice cup of cocoa or, I don't know, cup of bovril. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever your drink of choice is. I uh, hope you're nice and relaxed and hopefully enjoy this podcast. Yeah, and hope, you, hope you're having a good Christmas. We've got a flurry of podcasts coming out over the next week, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plenty for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, all co- all covering the 60th yes uh, including the 60th and then we have uh, a podcast scheduled for christmas day folks obviously it would be mm. with the timing of it we it won't be this year's christmas special that'll come uh earlier on in the new year at some point but uh stay tuned for that how's it going with you rob anyway oh uh, brilliant thanks been having a nice relaxing day um one of my daughters had a, a school fair after school um so i won some alcohol on the tombola nice so i'm happy yeah what what was it oh, well i've got a nice malbec mm-hmm. it's a bit berryish, but that's fine as long as it's red i'm good and i won a sparkling rosé i think it is i've whacked that in the christmas cupboard Oh, nice. That, 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 they actually sound quite decent. It wasn't just like, you know, like, oh, there's a kind of special brew for you or something. Yeah, well, the last one I went to, I won that bottle of Lindisfarne Mead. Oh, I, that wasn't... <laughs> you weren't a fan of that, if I remember rightly. No. <laughs> um, but no, I'm happy with this. Good. Well, I did have my eye on the litre bottle of vodka and the litre, litre bottle of gin, but no such luck. No. But I'm happy with the red. That's good. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I only spent two pound on that raffle, so that's good. oh yeah, quite certain. It's good. Uh, sounds really good. Yeah. And uh, our usual thing of have you? Uh, sorry, Rob. I know that I said. Uh, hopefully, by the time we do this podcast, I would have watched some episodes of Juice. I'm afraid I haven't yet. You haven't watched it yet. No, as I said, it's still my to-do list. Ah, oh, it's really bugging me because I really want to watch it. Um, yeah, but uh, but we'll do. Especially because, uh, oh, hang on, what's the actor's name again? 
it'll come to me. Yeah, yeah. But because of his performance in uh, Destination Scaro, because I think we both agreed he was a really good actor and just very charismatic, it's like, and you recommended it. It's like, I definitely want to see him in more stuff. So, it, yeah, um, hopefully. <laughs> but- hopefully you haven't built up your anticipation so high and you're like, this is crap. What's Rob talking about? <laughs> no, no. I'm, it's I, good. I, it, yeah. I think um, they've done something original, like... The way they film some sequences, um, it's it, it's very unique, and they've done it in a certain way. Mm. Um, so it it's yeah, it's, it's worth watching. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I haven't sort of like built because I don't I, I don't quite know what to expect from it. It's just really I want to tune in and just see see what he's like as an actor. Um, mm. And I dare say I, I will probably enjoy his performance. So I am looking forward to sitting down and watching it. It's just uh, it'll, at this rate, it'll probably be in the new year, at the earliest. Um, but yeah, just, uh, yeah, but hopefully soon. How about you? Have you been watching anything? Not a great deal. Me and my wife have watched all of the Middle Earth theatrical cuts this week. Ah, okay. We, and we got through them quite quick. Um, and we were like, well, yeah, this is not the extended ones. Um, I've, I've seen the extended Lord of the Rings plenty of times. But the Hobbit films, I haven't. With the Blu-ray, it's something I never really got round to getting because by the time the Hobbits were coming out, they were mostly on streaming. So why why should I invest my money in that when I'm just mildly entertained by it? But, you know, <laughs> what, I'm quite I'm quite curious now. You can get the extended edition Middle Earth Blu-ray, um, not the 4K mind. That's like ooh sky high. But if you want the Blu-ray, it's about fifty pound, which is reasonable for six extended films hmm. uh, 30 odd discs but you know for a, for a casual watch kind of thing it is a lot of money so we're kind of humming and hawing about it but it'd be nice to have so we'll, we'll keep it in mind but yeah I've in, enjoyed the theatrical cuts I don't think we've watched anything else nothing worth mentioning right okay. there's a new season of Reacher um, on Amazon uh, the Jack Reacher books Oh, yes, I've read some of those. I enjoy those, yeah. All right. Well, of course, there was some like Tom Cruise films. I haven't seen those. But yeah. No, um, I haven't. But Amazon do original shows on Amazon Prime, and they adapted one of the books for, into a whole season. I, th- I think it was early last year. And we just thought it was one of those nights where you're just like, looking for something. So we thought we'd give it a go, and we really liked it. Um and surprise, surprise! Like another season landed today, like out of nowhere. I didn't know that was coming. Are they? Do you know if are they original stories or have they actually been adapted from the novels? They're adapted from the novels. So the first season, uh, if I see, I can almost picture the novel, but I can't think of the name. But it is adapted from one of the novels, but it's also produced to an extent by the author so it's oh. got the author the author's seal of approval lee child yes hi right okay um are they doing them in order or because I, I i'm trying to remember the name of the first novel i think it's called rising floor hang on i'm gonna it's um mm. no it's not uh i was gonna say it's something with child in the in the name but I'm, that's probably the author <laughs> <laughs> they've all got that in <laughs> yeah i think so hang on bear with me um because I, I have read uh, a handful of them not all of them because uh, he's been publishing them for for quite a while 
but they are really right. rather good. Um, right, Jack Reacher. The first books. season was quite quite surprisingly good. He's so violent, and I like I, l- I love the guy that plays him, opposed to Tom Cruise in the other films. Yeah, because if you if you read the novels, the way that the the ch- uh, Jack Reacher is actually oh not Rising Floor that, that sounds like a crap title. The first novel is called Killing Floor. Oh, it could be that one. Yeah. Anyway, that's he really... goes to a small town in the first season, and does he get um, arrested in a cafe at the beginning? He does. Yeah. Right. Okay. That sounds like it's an adaptation of the first novel. Uh, oh, great. Okay. And is this look, stuff to do with money being tampered with? Yeah, th- there's a bit of a corrupt thing going yeah, on in yeah. town. Yeah, I, I'm trying to be vague for anyone who's not familiar with it. Right, if anyone has, I, I definitely recommend people read the book. Uh, it's really, really good. Um, and in fact, I think the Folio Society uh, have published their own ver- uh, their own version of it. So it's you know it's 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 highly uh, praised. It's a very good right. novel. Um, by the sounds of it. Uh, I, I actually want to watch the TV series now. So, oh, I'd see. recommend it if you if you got Prime. Ah, um, right. Okay. I, I've never read the books, but my wife did pick up that particular book right. when it came out, so right. it is on the shelf. Maybe I'll maybe I'll pick it up. Yeah, I remember really enjoying it. Um, right. Okay. Well, th- actually, Rob, uh, there's something that uh, you want to uh, mention uh, some of the socials, but huh? we I know that we have. A new listener who seems to really like the podcast. Oh yeah, we got a. Uh, you know what? I think it's from in um, the previous weeks when we we put all of the episodes onto YouTube. Mm-hmm. I think he discovered it that way. Um, but Curtis has um, kind of liked the podcast and signed up to the website and left a nice review. Um, so yeah, hi Curtis. He's also posted in the forum. He he is a big Twelfth Doctor fan. His favorite food is chicken fried rice. His favorite Doctor Who stories twice upon a t- twice upon a time. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's interesting. That's good. He says I'm a published author of several books and audiobooks. I've been a Doctor Who fan since I was a kid, and I've been doing videos on Doctor Who on my YouTube channel, which is the XFL fan. Schweiger's Den, which is Curtis's surname, I believe. Ah, right, okay. I pronounced that wrong. Yeah, uh, I'll make a note of that, and I'll check that out. Well, thanks, Curtis, and hopefully um, you continue to enjoy the podcast, and uh, yeah. this hasn't put you off, and it was just like a one-off. Um, but uh, I will do one one more shout-out to another another member who's joined the website. Okay. Uh, what Kid One, a.k.a. Dazzler. He's my next-door neighbour. He just signed up as well. Oh, hi, Rob's next-door neighbour. Um, I'm pretty sure he's, like, hinted to get on the show before. Okay. Yeah. I, I Don't worry. I don't think he's listening now. If you just want to say no. <laughs> no. Well, he might listen on later on. I'm just going to go, good, good God, no, I don't want him on. We'll get him on one day. Yeah, I'm pretty nice. sure he's been in one of the Patreon bonus um videos before all oh, right okay mm-hmm. thanks everyone and uh, yeah. yeah that's all that's that alons as idiots say e, e. yeah <laughs> okay on that note uh let's get on with the main stuff so we're looking at the second of the 60th anniversary specials which is called wild blue yonder so the storyline is with the tardis damaged 
the Doctor and Donna are flung to the furthest outreach of the universe. The TARDIS vanishes, abandoning them in a vast spaceship, but they are not alone. They encounter a slow-moving robot and alien entities that can convincingly duplicate them. But not only their bodies, but their memories. They must race to escape before the ship explodes and prevent the aliens from reaching the known universe. But which Doctor and Donna are which? So the cast and crew... The Doctor is played by David Tennant, Donna Noble, Catherine Tate, Wilfred Moat, Bernard Cribbins, Isaac Newton, Nathaniel Curtis, Mrs. Meridu, Susan Twist, and the doubles of the Doctor are played by Daniel Tutti, sorry, I think so, yes, sorry, uh, Daniel Tutti, Ophaya Raray, Tommaso Di Vincenzo. It's my ch- it's my it's, it's it's your turn it's, this week. It's Next my, week I'll butcher the names. Yeah, it, it's my t- it was my turn to butcher the names. I am so sorry for the for the actors who play the doctors doubles. Um I I shall try better, better next time. And uh the Donner's double was played by Helen Cripps. The crew uh the story was written by Russell T Davis, the director was Tom Kingsley, the music was by Murray Gold and the producer was Vicky Delu. Dilo. I'm even butchering her name. It's not even complicated. Anyway. Move on. Move on. Move on. So, um, with the the previous episode uh, ended with <laughs> with, uh, with Donna suddenly just tipping a whole load of coffee onto the TARDIS console and meaning that the whole thing just suddenly explodes and with the Doctor going we could go anywhere in time and space which is just like yeah that's the premise of the show mate great so that was the cliffhanger um so i think we were expecting that we would just be sort of like flung into uh the story but we we actually have quite a surprising scene we're taken to england in 1666 um for quite a odd scene actually um I don't know about you, Rob, but, uh, well, there's a couple of things. There's one thing which I think is a very odd choice, but I also think that the, the scene in and of itself, apart from um, a piece of, uh, like, a word that crops up later on in the episode, I thought it was quite pointless. But the thing mm. that really uh, got a lot of conversation going, going was the fact that we have a real historical character, Isaac Newton, uh, who was English, and is played by an actor of uh, uh, by a person of color from a mixed background. Um, I don't know what you, your views of, of this role. I don't plan to focus on this entirely because it's just a small scene, and we you know we quickly move yeah, on. It's, it's something I'm happy to discuss, but wasn't necessarily going to bring up. Bring up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think that the casting is a is an odd choice. Um, but it has brought in a lot of conversation. I think some people. And I'm of of I'm of this mind, which is having a real historical character, uh, in this case who was English and incredibly, you know, if you've seen if you've seen uh, um, portraits of this man was as, as, as you know white as a sheet. Um, it's obviously it's 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 a um, deliberate choice to have someone of a different background play that character. Um, what what is his background? Um, I think he he is uh, British, um, but his uh, I think his mother is uh, Caucasian. I may be wrong on that, but I know that his father is Indian. Um, 
I think it's a, a, a bizarre choice because I think it suddenly places places emphasis on on race, which isn't maybe yeah um it, honestly it's it's something i didn't really mind it's interesting when you say he has like a mixed background of race because typically um that in the industry characters just aren't written for someone with two two race backgrounds so mm. um and i know like a few people have like commented on that before um with regards to acting and getting cast that that's a big issue. So, if we're talking about being inclusive with everyone, everyone should have a chance to play 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 anyone. With regards to the as a show, it doesn't bother me at all, at all really. But if you want to get bogged down into a, a, a drama being historically and visually accurate, mm. I, get, I guess maybe that's a leg- legitimate question. But with Doctor Who, it's something that is, it's not, you can't take it too seriously all the time. It's mm. its sometimes meta and self-referential. And in that respect, can we just regard Doctor Who in the same way, same way we would regard uh, theatre in pantomime, where an, anyone can play anyone? Um, so may- yeah, maybe yeah. In, in, uh, maybe I kind of look at it in that regard and I'm completely fine with it. If if the casting was trying to make a statement, um, it, I don't know. They didn't explicitly say that. I don't think I haven't watched the behind the scenes stuff. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of impartial about it. I don't have any strong feelings towards it. Yeah, that's probably a healthy way of uh, healthy way of, of looking at it. I totally agree with you that uh, you know Doctor Who is whimsical and. Um, you can have a lot of fun and so on. Um, I think it, it has divided opinion. You have people who just like, eh, whatever, it's Doctor Who, it's not a serious show. Who gives a monkeys? Um, but then also at the same time, you've had people just going, well, no, it's, it's, you've, you've made a deliberate choice of doing this because it's not as if he's a fictional character. He's a real historical figure. Um, I, think, I think people pointing that out uh, and labeling them as racist, I think, is frankly nonsense. Especially yeah. because if being white and being white and English is hardly irrelevant to Newton's story. I mean, if he was actually non-white, he would have hardly had the same privilege as the same Isaac Newton in sixteen sixty-six. But anyway, it's mm. it, it's it, it, something that was suddenly stood out, and it's. You know, a decision was made with the casting, and it's regardless of where you you sit on it. It's um, I think everyone can agree why it's it's raised some conversation. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it's there. It's 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 a brief scene. Um, the the real purpose of it really just seems to have the fact that uh, Doctor. It seems to be quite a sh- quick shorthand for um, whoever you know, the TARDIS crew in this case, the Doctor and Donna traveling into the past can have a, have an effect. In this case, um, because of Newton mishearing a mis mis misremembering a word, gravity becomes mavity, mm. and that's and the word mavity is just peppered a couple of times later on in the story. But that seems to be it. Yes, um, I guess we'll get to that at that point. But do you think this has a greater meaning? No, that was a funny thing. Like I mean, an, an overarching kind of theme of time being changed, possibly. 
I didn't think so at the time. I mean, unlike uh, when we reviewed the Star Beast, we are looking at Wild Blue Yonder f- for this for the purposes of this podcast, having watched the Giggle. So I just want to, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's something ha- there's something that happens later on in this episode which I th- I did think that would have greater ramifications. Funnily enough, with this scene, I didn't think it would. Um. And there doesn't seem to be any indication that it that it does. I mean, mm. you know, maybe wrong and maybe picked up later on. I don't know. But um, just a question for you, Rob. You know this story of um, you know uh, Newton discovering gravity with an apple falling on his head. Yeah. Do you think that's a true story? It's 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 hard if it's a historical thing. Um, I, I'm guessing not so literally. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I I have I have my suspicions. It's a it's a nice little story, but uh, and funny enough, I think this scene has a little bit of fun with it because the fact that the Doctor and Donna are going, hang on, a man holding an apple in 1666 because no one else would mm. be holding an apple that year, just going, it must be Newton. So I think they <laughs> have, I think they have a, a a bit of fun with that. But anyway, it's a small scene. It it is kind of fun, and uh, I do like the the fact that Donna's having some fun of going you know um appreciating the gravity of the situation um it might be a bit overplayed but it's it's fun nonetheless uh yeah. and then and then off they pop um newton suddenly coins the word mavity uh again it's it's not fun it's it's not exactly historically accurate uh with <laughs> with how uh, newton coined that word it was anyway whatever and then we go into the title sequence and then we go straight into the episode where the tardis actually uh crashes inside a room inside a massive spaceship and this is when in, in the same in the same way it crashed on scarrow yes in exactly the same way yeah it seems to be crashing all over the place crashed on scarrow crashed into a tree crashed into a room um yeah um, I think the TARDIS needs safety belts, mm. like in Time Lash. Um, ah, Russell T. Davis missed, missed a opportunity of referencing a classic story. Mm. Uh, anyway, never mind. Um, so the uh, the TARDIS is completely damaged, but uh, it seems to be giving a warning by blasting the song "Wild Blue Yonder" <laughs> um, at them. Um, of the just just one point that I want to mention because of the because th- th- there's three specials, this was the one that was deliberately shrouded in mystery. There was very little advertised. Did you have any expectations when you came to to watching this episode? I didn't come up with any theories, but my expectations were high. That the very fact that it was shrouded in mystery, right? Okay, it, that that implied to me something something we are like previously aware of like a returning character or villain or plot might come into play right okay that's interesting i i I did think if there's a lot of secrecy it that must be the element um so now in retrospect i don't know why there was a lot of secrecy well well russell t davis has has said that maybe this was a mistake. But the reason that he didn't want um, much released on the story was simply because of how how simple the story is. 
and he just wanted people just to well there's not really much to sort of advertise on and there's there's not you know so you just wanted people just to tune in and um and yeah, enjoy- imagine doing a 30 second trailer for this it's the whole episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much so that was the reason he has actually said that that was probably a mistake on his part because that ended up building up people's expectations far too high and mm-hmm. they were coming up with all these theories of you know past doctors maybe rocking up and stuff stuff like that I actually, at the time, disagreed with him because I actually thought it was quite a smart move and I was just going, well, it's it's not your fault, fault Russell, if everyone's just bigging up this story. But with what, you, what you've said, Rob, might have had a point. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll get back to that. So um, so the TARDIS is... Oh, a- we, had, we had the war song, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So we had Wild Blue Yonder um, and there's just kind of, why is the TARDIS playing this war song? Um, it's obviously the TARDIS giving them a warning that they're landing in hostile action, but we don't quite know that yet. So they they go on for uh, a little bit of a wander, um, and then they hear and, uh, they also leave the tar- they leave the Sonic in the TARDIS before they go, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that, and that means that the the Sonic screwdriver is out of commission, so the, the Doctor is using that as a means of getting the TARDIS to to rebuild itself. Um, I was actually pleased because this meant that um we know that the characters are locked into this location yes and at this stage if he's got it in his pocket and he's not using it we'll we'll just be thinking why is he not using that to turn into superman and do all this cool stuff (laughs) yes yeah yeah so uh, it was a practical realistic reason of of writing the sonic screwdriver out for the remaining of the episode and it, it benefits hugely i'm pleased that they did that um so they go for a bit of a wander, hear the TARDIS dematerialize, run back into the room, and the TARDIS is gone. And because the sonic screwdriver was locked into the um, the lock of the TARDIS door, that's it. TARDIS, sonic screwdriver, gone. Um, just before that, that so we've seen the the main um, this massive corridor in this huge spaceship, which is obviously rendered through CGI, and we see. Uh, it's a, this is an interesting episode for for a good use of practical effects and CGI. Uh, just want to make a because a lot of people have commented on the CGI in this episode. What, what are your thoughts on it, Rob? Well, obviously the scope of the ship defies belief. You know that's not a set, mm-hmm. but um, now that you bring it up, I thought it was pretty seamless where the set meets the CGI. Uh, do you mean? With regards to sets, yeah, yeah, and everything, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought I thought it was spot on. I didn't have any any issues. Oh, great, yeah, m- me too. I wasn't suspending disbelief because I thought, oh, that's CGI. <laughs> I th- um, yeah, I mean, there are moments when, you, and I think you, you recognise that that it is CGI. But I and I know some people have seemed to like really criticise this episode and saying that the CGI is crap. I completely disagree. Actually, I I, I didn't. Uh, completely the opposite in my view yeah i thought that the cgi in, in this uh the story was really rather good actually and it held up it didn't and what, what they're meant to do build a mile long set yes rob come on <laughs> they've got disney money what's their excuse but um no i actually thought that the cgi yeah. the design and the execution of it was was really rather good so i didn't have yeah. any complaints on that front um we have a really nice scene uh at this point uh between the doctor and donna it's the, you know, where they said Isaac Newton was hot. 
Oh, I forgot about that scene. Sorry, it was a little bit <laughs> a little bit after that. But yes, there's that nice scene. And yeah, I mean, uh, they did get a very handsome actor to, to play Newton. So uh, yeah. can't disagree with and that the, one. The, the doctor was like, oh, is that who I am now? Um, and, and Donna's like, well, it was never too far from the surface, mate. <laughs> yeah. And actually, it's that point, because she's just about to like finish that, that, that thought and that sentence. Like, Where's this conversation going to go? And, but that's when they hear that the TARDIS dematerializes. And yeah, that's quite a nice, um, quite a nice moment. So that was that was nice. But no, the, the scene, sorry, I was initially talking about was when the TARDIS is dematerialized. Um, I mean, they've had they've had a little bit of an argument of like blaming each other. God, when you have to go through like a range of emotions here mm. from blaming each other to the doctor comforting her yeah and it's it's very real uh just that moment when the doctor goes you spilled the coffee and then he goes no and he just goes off and takes a moment goes i'm sorry and they just go no no it's fine and they calm down i liked how it was written and how that scene was performed i thought it was very real um and yeah and then you go that front because donna's family particularly her daughter clearly me and it makes sense clearly means an awful lot to her and She's worried and concerned about her family. And yeah, as you say, Rob, the doctor comforting her and saying, well, there is hope. And then talking about the reason why the TARDIS has gone because of uh, the HADS, um, which I wish I'd written this in my notes because I've forgotten what that acronym stands for. Hostile oh, um, Action Displacement it, uh, uh, System. Well, there you go. Is that it? All right, great. It sounds about right. Hostile Action Displacement system system service mm. anyway whatever um which is uh, one it's a really obscure reference to the patrick Troughton era i think it was in um certainly in the crotons it may have been in the invasion as well but it's quite nice I if you recall if you if you have a ref you know a reference like that it's just like i'm a doctor who fan and i recognize that but the way in which it is written in the in the in the scene and the way that the doctor explains it you don't need to be a long-term fan. It's just explained effortlessly. Um, David Tennant just makes the the words just trip off his tongue. It's it's, mm. it's a good scene. And we get, and again, as you said, Rob, because we go through that range of emotion of the Doctor being, you know, the, uh, Donna being concerned, the Doctor consoling her, and then she's just going the, and being concerned and then being that strong, that strong character, you know, where she goes, there's something so... Um, Something so bad, the TARDIS ran away. Well, let's go yeah. kick its ass. Yeah, th- this scene really shows off the benefit of bringing back old old characters out of retirement mm. that have got this chemistry and growth. Like, I'd imagine Shooty's Doctor and Ruby can never have scenes like this because the, they won't click as well because they're new mm. and they don't have this history and stuff. And Yeah. So, yeah, it's... it's a good benefit of like bringing people back yes yeah massively it's uh yeah it does work hugely i dare say that we will eventually uh get that with um with the doctor and sorry what what's her name Rob? ruby ruby yeah. yes yeah yeah ruby yeah but there's always like a bit of a disconnect with the new companion isn't there because yeah they're, they're just discovering who the doctor is yeah yeah and the doctor's just re- you know uh, finding about them so yeah it takes a while to to build up that relationship so then um, they realise that they're in host, host, hostile action. So yeah. Something's going wrong. And we know that when they were having this conversation, something was in the air vents watching them. Oh, yeah. 
Um, but this I just assumed it was one of the robots. Oh, right, okay. I suppose at this point you, you could kind of question it, but um, I think on a rewatch you, you know that it's like, oh, it's it's one of these... Oh, well, I knew that on the rewatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Be odd if you didn't, I suppose. Yeah, but I do have to admit, um, when I did watch it the other week, I kind of fell asleep a little bit near the end, so it really benefited having to rewatch. Was that a tiredness or boredom, Rob? Oh, tiredness, yeah. Oh, okay, that's all right. Was <laughs> nodded off. You know, you do, you do it for. I mean, it could have been ten seconds or so, mm. but my that means after that, my attention was all on focus and on keeping my eyelids open, mm-hmm. so I didn't take a lot of it in. So, <laughs> yeah, and on the second watch, I got it better. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, so. At this point, uh, we see this. We see the the ship seem to do something. Uh, it's like, is it resetting itself? The, the the tiles on the wall seem to flip around. Some of the struts move. Something yeah. is said over the tunnel systems. Like, what the hell's going on? Random words. Random words. Um, because the TARDIS isn't around, uh, it's a language that the Doctor doesn't know. So he'll later have to work out. N- numbers through sort of like a system of some sort of process which he does he manages to work out yeah. the numbers one to ten in this this odd language mm. in fact the second word that, that we hear later on callous or something mm. at first i thought it was Khaled. i thought oh here we go this is this is why this ev- episode wasn't advertised because we're going to have julian bleach walking around all oh, right okay <laughs> <laughs> did it prove to be disappointing when it wasn't uh, yeah, almost. Oh, right. oh, it's a shame. Okay. Um, actually, at one point, uh, because they end up having this sort of this buggy thing, which can uh, which they use as transport. And you know how when we were reviewing the Star Beast, Rob, and I said, I think there's something a little bit um, off with Donna. And you would, you know, you're just going, oh, Liam, you're just being paranoid. Yeah. Um, obviously, that did turn out to be the case because we've seen the giggle. But at this point, when... Um, when Donna says, well, I'll drive. And then she goes, Alon's, as idiots say, E. I put, I, I put that line as just going, oh, she's, she's being overly critical. I thought it was a funny line and nicely delivered, but that, that, that formed, that was a line that... I thought she was having a jab at him. Yeah, and I thought that, that was a line that, um, that raised my paranoia level. So going, no, there's definitely something up with Donna. Don't know what it is. Uh, no, she's just having a... He just paranoidly. Yeah. It's just a bit of a bit of banter. Yeah, it was just turned out to be a, a, a bit of banter. Um, yeah, and that was me just looking to. It was just I don't know that line just leapt out of me just going, oh, hang on a minute, there's something about that, isn't there? And no, there wasn't. It was just a bit of banter. So I was way way off. Um, yeah. So I think at this point, it's it's been quite a nice, jolly little sort of run around, and they come across this very slow moving old robot. Um, but when they arrive at the very front of the ship, I think this is when the episode really starts to, to come in, into its own. It, it it becomes something else. And it really starts to establish a mood and a tone. And can quite eerie. They discover that they are on the very edge of the universe. Which reminded me of um, <clears throat> the Tom Baker story, Planet of Evil. Uh, oh. A little bit. Which is a really good story. And that is set. That's set on a planet on Zeta Minor, I think it's called, and that's a planet on the very edge of the of the universe. And it's all to do with antimatter monsters, and it's a bit 
bit sort of um, homage to Forbidden Planet. It's a really good story, though. But it reminded me of that, but it doesn't go anywhere near that. It's just, uh, it's at the edge of the universe. And the Doctor and Donna have this this scene together. And the way that the scene builds, and it's sort of like building on this sort of existential crisis, really. And even on the rewatch, I found this I found this scene to be, you know, as it as it went on, to be quite eerie. And it's at this point where the the story for me it, it establishes that that mood, and really runs with it for for pretty much the majority of the episode. Mm. Like Donna makes comparisons to what she's been through before, I think in this episode is it? Mm-hmm. But um, Donna being at the far reaches of, of existence does have an effect on her when they ca- when they kind of look in in the direction of um of our family. Yeah. Um, um so does did Donna ever go quite far? Oh, did she just kind of go to the Ood planet and the odd other place? She hasn't been there. Yeah, I mean but nothing is sort of like far out is this where there doesn't seem to be any apart from the ship that they're in there doesn't seem to be any evidence of anything else existing. Mm. Um so this probably is the furthest. I mean yeah, the the planet of the Ood. I'm just trying to think I mean, I know that she was on the planet Midnight, but she was out of the the episode, and she was just living at large in the in the um, near the pool. Uh, yeah, um, it's almost <clears throat> on the level of like Utopia was an episode where they went to the the end of the universe, but mm. even then, it was very overpopulated. Um, uh, maybe a better example would be when. Danny Pink's descendant was the last person alive. Oh, yes. That, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Devo- devoid of life and everywhere, and they were still knocking outside. So that was quite eerie. Yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, it's it's slightly different, but yeah, I think that, that I mean, because that, that was very evocative. And yeah, I think that's probably the closest com- closest comparison one has to another Doctor Who story. But I really liked this moment and what then happens with the, the rest of the story. So they end up going into another room. And um, the Doctor gives the, this Donna this task of moving these, I don't know what, you, effectively like computer ships, uh, computer chips from from one drawing to another to um, boost the energy levels of the of the, the ship that they're in. And he goes into another room to to sort out the the energy levels and you know through through water controls or something. Um, and then what happens was uh, is we see that Donna is doing uh, is doing the task, and then after a few moments, the the doctor seemingly seems to come in, and they're having this um, conversation. The Donna's talking about her family, wanting to go back to them, probably the fact that they'd be waiting for her. The doctor listening. When you first watched this, Rob, what, did did you pick up anything at the, at this point? From this first interaction, mm. no. Um, <clears throat> yeah, maybe there was some red flags there, but my attention wasn't kind of on them, so I, I didn't, I didn't pick, it, pick it up. No, no. It's on the rewatch. I noticed that the, you know that the, there is a we do see the fact that the room has got cold, which I didn't pick up yeah. on. The, you know that that becomes a bit of a clue. But uh, on the first viewing, I didn't pick it up at this point, and I thought actually this was quite a nice scene uh, between the Doctor and Donna and the Doctor seemingly listening. But then we cut back to the other room that the Doctor was in and he seems to be 
still carrying on with what he left off. That right, okay, so something's something something's quite not right. Donna seems to join him in that room and they're having a conversation. It sort of mirrors what they were talking about, but obviously this is from the doctor's perspective, and Donna seems yeah. to be asking him about Gallifrey. What were your thoughts at this point? Well, it it the tran- transition between the two scenes was very subtle. I mean, people like me probably thought they just nodded up and, mi- nodded <laughs> up and missed something. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was very ominous at this stage. Mm. You knew that's something... We- I-, I thought, oh, is, th- is, this- is this something to do with time? on this ship have they have they suddenly come out of sync and there's, yeah, there's that, like time that hadn't occurred to me yeah because th- of course this ship had supposedly fell through a wormhole mm-hmm. when the doctor was kind of doing some investigating earlier yeah yeah so at this point i thought oh is there some kind of time disconnect and it's sort of and gravity mavity it's all kind of gravity affects time yes if you are, if you're getting sucked into a black hole there could be kind of gravity dilation and um, stuff like that mm-hmm. so yeah that could it could have been a possibility so that that's what especially I, on a large ship yeah yeah exactly and we had oh that sorry um that's actually happened before hasn't it with the cybermen on the mondasian ship yes with the uh, peter capaldi story yeah, yeah, yeah. About that, uh oh that that's such a great story um so that was uh that was my thinking of what was going on here but uh not long after it turns out that that's not the case and we have uh the first mention of my arms are too long. Mm. Which I think, uh, you know, how certain stories have end up having these catchphrases, like, you know, going back to the Eccleston era of, uh, are you my mummy? You know, and, you know, th- things like that. Or don't blink. You know, these these catchphrases. I think there's a new one. My arms are too long. Yeah. Um, if you're in a room with someone and they just say that from behind you, you're going to freak out. <laughs> I'm just going to go, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try that out now. Um <laughs> <laughs> try that at work and get fired <laughs> my arms are too long um then your jaw just hits the floor <laughs> yes yeah, so we've uh safely discolate discolate yeah. yeah anyway um so at this point there's um... you just bend your leg above the knee <laughs> Oh, I've got to become really dedicated just to, for this practical joke, just to really freak people out. <laughs> Dislocate my jaw. See if I can do weird bendy things with my legs. Do you have... <laughs> anyway. Um, so, obviously, we're aware that, that something's a bit weird. And then we actually see uh, Donna's arm is too long. And just that br- that great moment of um, the Doctor realising that that isn't Donna then cutting to where the real Donna is and then her hearing the Doctor shout when the Doctor seems to be in the room with her and just going, how are you that? With these these huge, massive arms. And they are huge. Um, and this is a wonderful case of practical effects because they actually made these huge prosthetic arms and they were able to drag and lift them around and stuff. And uh, I think... <laughs> This is, I don't know what you thought, Robert. Just I thought this was really effective, and I thought bloody creepy. Oh yeah, definitely. Like you're you're right there with uh, with an imposter, but you didn't know it. Yeah, and just yeah. that that creeping slow realization. Um, and I think, yeah. and in fact, later on when we have like situations where we don't know who the real one is, mm. I didn't think it was terrifying particularly, but. It's very much like 
reminiscent of like Invasion of the Body Snatchers mm. or John Carpenter's as the thing. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and to me, that's a very good psychological horror. It's it's something that I found terrifying as a kid, as a kid, and like watching the thing now. That blood test seems very very tense, and but yeah, the whole concept of not knowing who you're in the room with truly. Mm. I think that's that's quite scary, yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, those are really good examples that you've given, Rob, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, both the original and the mm. 70s version in particular. Oh, and also there's, there's a film called They Live. You might be familiar with Oh, that's another John Carpenter one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, oh. that's, that's a great one. Oh, I want to watch that now. Yeah, that is really good. Um, so there's these great sort of existential horror films. And I think Wild Blue Yonder sort of, is probably the, like the childlike version of that, um, mm. but it, it's still very mm. creepy and effective. Yeah, it's like th- there is body horror there, but it's the psychological mm. element of the uncertainty and the unknown and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is in some respects. I mean, this is just a crazy bonkers episode, and that moment when they're being chased by huge versions of themselves because they're having a they're obviously having a a difficulty grasping, well controlling themselves to look like the doctor and donna mm. but they also have a difficulty of grasping um size um and it made me think you know when we were reviewing planet of the giants imagine if they had the technology oh, yeah. to yeah. make this story then would we get oh. that i don't know but um <laughs> yeah it's it's just great and it's sort of like that wonderful that wonderful blend of something being so outlandish it's actually quite funny whilst at the same time it's really bloody creepy mm. so I, I loved all that but obviously things start to calm down a bit and as you said rob um there's that moment where they start to obviously we have to with this, this type of story we have to have the doctor and donna split up then yes because the, when the ship's reconfiguring mm-hmm. they go and they get pulled into the into separate corridors yes um mm. which again i think the the designs of of those i mean i think that the, the design of the entire episode is really good but the, but these look good as well you can't you know it's a it's a, it's a good doctor who corridor uh, it is and uh looking at the the two sequences side by side i think the one with doctor and donna they just backlit them differently mm. which was quite effective in in recycling the same corridor uh, but between shots, it made it look a bit different, mm-hmm. and it it reminded me a little bit of Alien, you know, when um, when they're going through on the Nostromo, and they're going through the um, the ventilation shafts. Mm. Just the, not the. It just reminded me of the sort of like the, the feel of it, the the tone that they were going for. It, it just it reminded me of that, but uh, it's very good. And then you have these moments when you have. The doctor encountering the doctor and then being sort of like, is it is it really you or not? Um, and we have these two great scenes, um, but I think the the one particularly is with the doctor, and it's the real doctor encountering Donna and not and trying to find out if it if it's really her or not, and the fact that she is aware of the flux. Yes, well, and also indirectly mentioning the timeless child. Yes. Yeah. Now, you and I, Rob, weren't particularly 
fans of the timeless child but i think we have said previously on this podcast is that although we're not fans of it it's it's part of the mythos of the show and we didn't necessarily want want Russell T. Davis to come in and just pretend that never happened and do a massive rewrite or, or whatever. Yeah. I actually quite like that Russell T. Davis has embraced this and has mentioned it. Oh, 100%. And actually, the way that yeah. the way that he has done it, I think, you know, just bringing, this, bringing the idea down into what that actually means for the Doctor and the fact that it has obviously really affected him, just, I think, just in these... Uh, just in this one scene, actually it goes it was just incredibly effective what did you think mm. he, oh yeah I, I was actually surprised it was going to be mentioned i thought perhaps we'll just go back to that mentality of i'm the doctor i'm a time lord mm. full stop and i hope we get i hope we do get some of that like the fact that the doctor's heritage isn't like disregarded or or lessened because of the timeless shell stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I like that they've they've kind of went with it, and of course the flux was one of the last things that the doctor had went through, and it was quite a significant thing. Um. In fact, let me just think. There's there's something I want to talk about on our next episode. Okay. That was that was similarly significant but yeah that i like how the flux plays heavy on his mind yeah yeah so i really like that i really like the scene and the fact that donna seems to understand that and he really wants that he really wants his best friend in the entire universe donna to understand that. he wants to be able to talk about it and the fact that it's the false donna it and it, you see this through Tennant's performance. It re, it breaks him. He's guarded yeah. originally because when what we later find out to be the fake Donna is talking about all this, he's just going, "You're doing this to break me." So he's on guard at first. Then he lets his guard fall, and then just at that moment, uh, this fake Donna sort of like to, to just melts melts and turns into a puddle. Um, but she's really, uh, really evil in that moment, and it breaks the doctor, and he has to go. Um, similarly, although it's 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 not as not as emotional, but um, the scene that the the real Donna has with the fake doctor is 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 quite nicely done. But that just turns just ends in such a bonkers way, where he ends up sort of like <sighs> bending into himself and sort of like scuttling around like a crab. Uh, bit with like, his head between his legs. Yeah. <laughs> it's nuts. It's one of the craziest things probably ever, ever yeah. seen in a Doctor Who uh, story. But I like how a lot of people will take it differently. Like some people will just laugh hmm. or cringe. Some people will probably be genuinely freaked out by it. <laughs> well, again, I think it's that wonderful blend of just going, it's it's ridiculous and laughable, but at the same time, creepy as hell it is creepy as hell um so that so we've had uh we've had this you know these moments of um both the doctor and donna um wondering who they're talking to is the real person or not um and then of course we have to have them all together all in one room and then then working i think this the solution here 
was uh, thought up very well. Mm. Uh, with the writing, I mean, because the Doctor, to me, is all about his intelligence mm-hmm. and figuring things out. Yes. And he sees the flaw in their deception here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that thing of just going, actually, the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the way that we think can be quite complicated. We can think of two things simultaneously. It's not just yeah. black and white. Um, think and believe, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I thought that was intelligently done. It didn't feel like a, a cheap thing. Whilst at the same time, Russell T. Davis, I think, is able to write this story and allow the viewers to easily, f- you know, follow it through. Um, mm. I don't think at what I don't think there are moments where it becomes needlessly complicated because that can, I think that can be quite a easy thing for a writer to fall into. But he 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 keeps the mystery going and the atmosphere going, but he allows. Um, he allows a, a very easy through line, um, which is the signs of a good writer, I think. Um, but we have this this moment with the salt. Yeah. Um, now, as I said, we are watching this, we're reviewing this, um, having seen the giggle. But... Yes, and um, <laughs> later on, the salt will be referenced foreshadowing something down the line as well. Yes, which would turn out to be the giggle. Yeah. Now, unlike the the Isaac Newton Mavity Gravity thing, which I just thought was a little bit of fun, um, on original viewing, before seeing the giggle, I did think, oh, this is clearly going to be a thing. Did you think the same thing, mm. or was it, or did you think... It About was... the salt? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I did think it would be a thing when the Doctor regretted it at the end of the story. Mm. When he said he... He invoked a superstition at the edge of the universe where the rules don't apply yeah. or something down. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Did, yeah. did say that, yeah, yeah. And and it had that that old chestnut where he'll be concerned and then just dismisses it <laughs> offhand. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so that's a hallmark of um, something coming, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we will dwell on it in a in a in a really sort of obvious way, and then just go, eh, whatever. Eh, probably nothing. Probably nothing. That means it's something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> know what you mean? So, yeah, I think at that point it was definitely obvious. Um, yeah. But this interesting po- concept, though. What's that? Sorry. It was an interesting um, idea to play with that uh, something something supernatural could be coming into play mm-hmm. or, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was also a good trick on his on his part to deceive the the doppelgangers. Yeah, and I don't know what it is. It's just a simple thing, but having having the doppelganger Donna just I don't know. I, d- I did actually find it quite creepy that she does actually go down and start counting the grains of salt. Yeah. <laughs> don't know why. I think it was just something in the way that it was performed. It was just it's just such an odd thing. But anyway, um, so at this point um, we're coming to the the end of the story. And we have another screen come down, um, but this time the Doctor and Donna are on one side of it, and the sort of like the doppelgangers are on the other. And at the time of the original viewing, I just went, "Is this become? A, is this going to become a thing?" Because we had screen of the week. Yeah, the screen of the week. We had a similar thing, but with the Doctor and Donna divided across a very similar um, mm. glass screen in the Star Beast. Then we had this, and I thought, "Is this? Is this some odd thing that's going to be written into the specials?" As it happens, it wasn't. But anyway, um, 
find out that the reason why these sort of like doppelgangers are going out their way to freak out the doctor and donna is because um it makes them think and it keep it, it makes the adrenaline pump which is which it makes it easy for the doppelgangers to read and therefore understand and duplicate them better so there is an mm. attempt of them trust the doctor and donna just to try and be calm and not think but of course the doctor is incapable of doing that and then we start to find out what was going uh, what happened which was these things infiltrated the ship the uh, and from what we can gather destroyed all the the crew members apart from the captain the captain understood what was happening and therefore um killed herself or himself um so they were no longer able to read the captain's mind and what the captain did was slow the ship down so it wasn't traveling to the universe which is where these evil doppel uh, doppelgangers wanted to go uh, at the same time um set the ship for auto destruct yeah and that's what this whole process has been the whole time and it's so slow mm-hmm. that that these creatures wouldn't kind of comprehend what was happening mm-hmm. But now that they now because the doctor has realised this, the doppelgangers know that this is the case. So then attempt to destroy, uh, attempt to stop the the ship from being destroyed. Yeah. So what the doctor? Oh, sorry, no, there's no. just one thing in my notes here mm. about this captain who's who's been floating above the ship, and that was the cause of the banging mm-hmm. on the ship as well. But um, the doctor says the captain was caught in the gravity field, and Donna says the what? And he says, oh, no, sorry, Mavity Field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and throughout the episode, before this, I was wondering, is the Doctor aware of the change to gravity? Or is it is it turned to Mavity for him? And this scene maybe suggests it hadn't. Like, what, had the Doctor observed, like, okay, Donna's saying Mavity now, Why? There is actually a moment uh, earlier on in the episode. It is very subtle, um, but it's when they're actually walking down the corridor, I think, for the first time after the TARDIS has dematerialized. Yeah. And uh, the Doctor, uh, sorry, Donna mentions Mavity. Yeah, she says there's lots of light, air, Mavity. That's it. Yes, that's the bit. And then he kind of... He just looks. Gestures. Yeah, yeah. looks, yeah. Yeah, he, he picks up on it. Yeah. So um, I don't know whether that's just because the doctor's more time sensitive um, or he, he was completely aware it wasn't Mavity. I don't know. Mm. And I, like at the time, I thought this is going to be relevant in a future episode. And if it's not, I'm not sure what is the relevance to this story. Mm. I thought... I mean, you may be right, Rob. It may actually turn out to be, you know, we may actually have a future story with with Newton back and may become a thing. I just thought it was a a little bit of fun Mm, in actually what is quite a creepy story. I don't know. I mean, I may be completely wrong. I mean, we'll obviously at some point we will we'll soon find out. But um, but at this point, uh, the Doctor has to get the ship back onto normal speed which obviously means that the, the countdown uh goes back into normal time and now we're you know approaching approaching the end and things are getting quite tense um as it is the tardis 
comes back and singing away yes while beyond are still blasting away um the doctor gets into the tardis and rescues donna or does he I thought mm. this was, and I still think it's because of, of, of how it's done. I think it's very effective. But when I was first watching this, it was so tense because you do think that that brief moment that he's picked the, the, the right uh, the right one. But when the TARDIS dematerializes and we see this Donna and she's still adamant that he's picked the wrong one, I just went, oh, crap, he has picked the right the wrong one. And of course, we cut into Wouldn't the. It had been a really mad, cool twist if the real one just died. Yeah, and I was just like, "What the hell's going on?" Is th- that would have been so interesting? Yeah, is is um, is Donna in the giggle going to be the the evil doppelganger? Because we cut to the interior of the TARDIS, and she's looking evil, and just that is, you know, just slowly walking down the corridor uh, in the interior of the TARDIS. And it was so tense that it's just going, Russell, you better not kill Donna, you absolute, ooh, you prick. Um, but I was really engaged with it and I just thought it was, I thought it was incredibly, incredibly well done. Um, yeah. Because the ship destructed and we, it was like, oh, this is it. But the, the explosion was very slow because it had to go across the entire ship. Yeah. So yeah, there was time to save her. There, there was. As it turns out, the doctor um, realizes because her arms are still her arms are millimeter too long. <laughs> a millimeter too long. I'm not. I'm not if I do My have arms a, too long. If if I do have a fault of the the episode, it might it may be because of that. I I don't know. I, I thought it was a maybe a little bit. I think it would have been a bit more effective. Say it was he was able to detect it because he he couldn't quite emotionally connect with her in some way. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but it, I don't think it's like it's sort of like it ruins the episode or something. But uh, mm. just just a thought that I had. But it was just such a massive relief. It just go, oh, finally booted <laughs> booted her out and got the real one in. Such a relief. <laughs> so Ted, and the fact that you just have that moment of them next to the Tardis console, just just hugging each other, just going, yeah, you <laughs> you need that. That was tense. Hmm. Yeah. Um. And then we have an, a nice surprise, um, although it's it's sort of bittersweet in some respects. But we have, uh, you know, the, the Doctor and Donna arrive back in the, the alleyway where they had de- de- dematerialized at the end of the last episode. They're back. And who's there, Rob? It's Will. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bernard Cribbins. Good old Bernard Cribbins. Uh, I wasn't expecting this at the time. Um, I thought it was a it was a really nice surprise. It's a bit bittersweet because, as it turns out, this is the last moment that we see Bernard Cribbins and Doctor Who. Um, yes, it's his, yeah, his final ever recorded. He was. A... I, I was wondering if this was not quite the truth, because I thought maybe he'd film something like additional. Yeah, I was hoping that we would see him a little bit in the next episode, but uh... yeah, in fact, we do see him in the next episode because. Donna's still pushing him in his, in his wheelchair, but we don't see his face, and he doesn't doesn't speak. No, because uh, that's a, that's a double, and they use a little bit of dialogue from a series four episode. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, Bernard Cribbins, um, I think, had sadly passed away by the time they were recording the giggle. So this is the the final moments. It's so nice that we have it. Um, I'm pleased that as as brief as it is, 
it's nice that we have this scene. Uh, he's still great, still putting a smile on the face. It It's just nice that we have him and the way that he performs his scenes with Catherine Tate and um, David Tennant. Is, it, it is nice. I'm pleased that we were able to have uh, at least this moment rather than rather than not. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Um, and then things explode. People fight each other. Um planes crash uh and then and then we go into the title sequence uh, title sequence uh the credits and that's the end of the episode um yeah one thing i will have to say which i haven't mentioned up until this point which i think david Tennant and Catherine tate are brilliant in this story with yes. both parts that they play the doctor and donna and their yeah they've been given them. a solo episode yeah where they get to play two parts each mm-hmm. it was great yeah yeah just brilliant just taking us back to, to, to one earlier point that I made, which was the fact that this episode had been shrouded in a lot of mystery, Rob. Um, so people's expectations were very high. Um, and I think people were, you know, coming as like, oh, uh, Peter Capaldi will be in it, Matt Smith will uh, appear in it, and maybe we'll see mm-hmm. a bit of heart. But obviously that's not this story, so that didn't happen. Um, and I think you hit it. Did that, did that, were you disappointed in this story as a result? Not at all. My expectations were high. Just I just presumed something was coming. Mm. But my, my expectations in regard to what I expected, but like my personal expectations weren't sky high. Mm. I just wanted a good story and kinda of got it. So uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't come out of this disappointed in any way. Oh good good. No, no, I was just wondering. And did you feel any different? No, not at all, because I didn't have I didn't have any. Ex- the only thing I was wanting was it was a creepy story, because I just had that sense from the little bit that we were seeing that oh maybe this is good, and uh, I was very satisfied actually. I felt like yeah, that's what we got. We got a bonkers but creepy story, and I really really liked it. So we got some um, feedback uh, from some of our listeners. So uh, Alex uh, Alex Gibbons. Uh, I'm terribly sorry, Alex. Um, ho- hopefully I'd, uh, I can get the gist of, of your review. But thank you very much for getting in contact. And he has said, um, Wild Blue Yonder is not bad. It gets better by the end. He liked the idea. Uh, it's quite scary um, in places. So agree with that. And then Sonia has got in contact and said, I thought it was good. The body horror bits were creepy. It was interesting. And I enjoyed seeing Catherine Tate and David Tennant play off each other. Um, and I think it's the same as last week, Rob, with the, with the poll. So if, uh, for listeners, uh, we have a website, cloisterbellpodcast.com. And on there we have a polling station. So you can go on there and, and, and rate the stories uh, as well as provide comments. And um, I, I, th- I think people are... Um, of voting more than once uh we had the same problem yeah. with the with the last episode and i think it's it's not that i disagree with the rating it's just the numbers and it, i just think that it's widely off but anyway um the so either someone either someone's abusing the poll mm. boo stop it <laughs> um i don't want to accuse anyone directly over over the podcast that would be slander um but or we'll have bots on the website. They're doing that. Hmm. Or oh, this was just a, just a terribly bad episode. I don't know. <laughs> well, 
according to the poll we have um 14 percent said it was good yeah one percent good one yeah. percent said it was average right. 83% said it was bad uh, and if you look at the numbers, it's just like, well, I've never had uh, the numbers of people voting like that before. But okay, we'll take it at face value that the most, the vast majority of people yeah. seem to think that this episode is bad. But that's to- More people have voted bad than probably listened to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, possibly. But in terms of our ratings, Rob, which is really the only thing that matters. Yes. Uh, how would you rate it? It was very good. Mm. Yes, I agree. I really, really like this uh, this episode. Um, I really enjoyed it on the first watch. Coming back to it again um, for the purpose of this podcast, it was very easy to do. I will more than happily rewatch it. I yeah, for me this was very, very good. I loved it. Well, thanks for getting in touch. As always, you can access our polling station on the website and leave your feedback there, or leave us feedback. Uh, on the socials or get in touch at feedback at cloisterbellpodcast.com with an email. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, sorry, back to you, Liam. No, no, I was going to chuck it back in your direction. So thanks very much uh, for listening. I hope you uh, have enjoyed this podcast. You listeners have probably already know what's happening next. So, Rob, but Rob, what's happening next? Well, I was thinking we might check out um, The Giggle. Yeah, I suppose. We may as well. For a laugh. Yeah, yeah. May as well. Yeah, see what you did there. Um, yes, so uh, next podcast, <clears throat> we'll be looking at the, the last of the 60th anniversary specials, The Giggle. Yeah, and um, who knows, that that episode may be landing in the next few days, mm. looking at our Christmas lineup, yes. possibly. But yes, yeah. Keep your, keep your browsers locked on to cloisterbellpodcast.com and the socials and uh, yeah keep an eye out yep but uh, thanks everyone and until then take care and goodbye allons-y as idiots say Oh.